Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome to Punching Out. I'm Dave, and today we're here talking about a type of work that some people might not even necessarily think of when they think of typical jobs. We're uh, talking to artists today. That is, we have a visual artist, a musician, and a filmmaker in the studio. Also with me in the studio is Mike, who uh, put this whole thing together, and honorary member of Punching Out. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me, and and thanks for... uh co-piloting this with me. And uh, we have three artists in here, and if you three could just introduce yourselves, please. I am Tara Nelson, and I guess I'm the filmmaker, right? Yeah. <laughs> if I got it right, if okay. I got anything wrong, yes. let me know. Sometimes I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> I'm Gary Crocker, and I am the musician today. Uh, my name is Ray Ray Mitrano. I'm the visual artist. All right, so... We thought we would start by just kind of getting a baseline about your life as artists. Um, could you share how long, kind of in a given week, how much of your time is taken up by thinking about making art? Time that you spend on your mm. artistic practice. Oh, I see. Mm. Okay. Your hours. Our. Next question, please. Our hours. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Uh, not enough. Not, never enough. That's for sure. And it, I, I work in more of a project kind of. If so, if if I'm working on or for a deadline or for a show or for you know, it, it's usually intensive work, and then it kind of has dry spells. Um, and I'm also a teacher, so it's semester based. I usually have a very sparse practice during the semester when I'm doing teaching and programming and other things so it's it comes and goes so it can be you know zero to 15 (laughs) I guess it's the same for me whether I'm making art or not really depends on what my energy level is uh, and what kind of time I have after I've worked or parented or gigged because you know a lot of times gigging will get in the way of creating new projects. Not get in the way, but it that's time that I'm not spending uh, writing new work. So it varies. It, it varies. I always feel like I should be making art, but not always doing that. Yeah, for for me, this, this question, I've sort of uh, for years looked at it in a way that it's like I want to be integrating not just my visual art but socially engaged art into whatever I'm doing so whatever part-time job I've got I try to get my vitality utilized by the management of, of a business or a nonprofit or any number of things that have been my main source of income surrounding just raw 
personally or collaboratively driven um, art in a maker's type sense. But yeah, I, I think that's sort of one of the reasons I've been so drawn into like uh, social sort of relationship-based art um, um, as, as well as, as just straight-up visual art. So I would say per week um, I work, you know, a chunk of hours for a nonprofit community education space. Um, I've chunked hours of food service in the past year, do all these odd jobs, right? But I'm always trying to bring art into them. So, oh, gosh, I don't know. I just want to say, like, I probably don't get paid for probably about 30 hours a week of things that I do uh, related to my art practice, I would, I would probably say. Uh, you all three brought up uh, other jobs that you do in different contexts, and I was wondering if you would like to speak a little bit more about uh, other jobs that aren't necessarily your... Uh, your art, but um, you know, if they inform your art or if they just take time away or something like that. Yes, that is very uh, relevant to this conversation, I think, because um, my work is I program an experimental film series, I teach filmmaking and lecture on other things related to film and art history and history of film. So um, it there's a filmmaker and a teacher I really admire named Peggy Awesh, and she's the head of the Bard program, and she's a great, great filmmaker. And she is, she, her quote is just best for this, and it's that when you're teaching, you're giving it all away. You, you really, you give it, you give all your. It's a creative act. I mean, it's very deeply creative, and and you know that's kind of it sounds like a. a uh, negative sentence, and it, it, it and sometimes it feels that way, but it does uh, absorb a lot of creative energy. And you know, in order to do it well, in order to, and also meeting, facilitating the opportunity for other filmmakers to come to Rochester and show their work and make sure it's a good show, and that we have you know people there, and all those things do um, do eat away at my desire to continue to work on my own practice and my own work because it's. It's just it the the creative energy is kind of drained by it. I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess everything you do in your life informs your art, right? But there's kind of a balance. I, I I work at a music store now, and prior to that, I was working at the post office. So I was working sixty hour weeks, and I was I was also writing songs, but I felt like. I think working there increased my desire to write because the writing kept me sane, but it decreased my ability to write because I had less energy and less time. Whereas with this job, I'm a little more in balance. Um, being around music is inspiring, but I'm you know I'm still spending that eight hours a day at at the one place and not not writing songs during that time. But it does allow me to write more because I'm not working 10 hours a day. <laughs> so the the work informs the art practice. It's not just a distraction, but sometimes it does feel like it's 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 distracting and it does take time time away. Uh yeah, I think I kind of answered this question halfway in the previous um <laughs> but um could you repeat it again this specific question? The the question was about 
um, how your work outside of, or the, the jobs that you do, yeah. I should say, how those inform your art and also how your art informs those jobs. Yeah, so, hmm. so yeah, I answered a little bit on the first question, just the idea of integrating the arts is big for me. You know, I'm not just um, illustrating or um, making video or that type of work. I'm, I'm also sort of looking at, like, how people interact with each other as art and, and, and how um, people, um, particularly um, groups, um, advocate uh, uh, for things uh, civically um, in, in a creative way. Um, so I'm sort of, I try to put myself in a lot of different groups and organizations um, outside of things I'm directly employed by and then eventually become a worker in those fields. Um, this this year I was actually just a quick anecdote like <clears throat> so I was invited to be the artist of a month at artist of the month at 540 West Main University. It's like a place where you could teach a class, I could teach a class, nonprofit. So I had a show for a month and the founder there, um, uh, a couple months later, he was like, hey, we need someone to do the, the mail, the, the newsletter and then the social media and, and help with graphic design. And so I started doing a few hours, you know, like 20 hours a month doing that. And then a couple months later, he was like, hey, you know, we need someone to do a class coordination role. So I'm at about like, you know, 12 to 15 hours a week doing that. And, and it sort of organically grew out of an art-based relationship. For me, those are the most sort of, that's the direction I feel like in this, in this uh, culture and I'm, that's best for me to navigate right now. So I think your comments um, point to you know, two roles that, that work have in your life. There's, you know, most people think of their job or their career as a way to you know be compensated and and have you know a comfortable life or or survive and you know they look for a job that will be meaningful enough and they won't hate it um, you have you have kind of a bifurcated structure to your lives you have the job that pays you and you have this artistic practice that is very meaningful to you, but also won't support you enough for it to be um, your job, your your singular job. So given that you can't support yourself, um, that, you know, the, the idea of success for most people's jobs, the idea of being able to support themselves, how do you define success um, for your artistic practice? We can start on with the Ray Ray if you want to go the other way. I will start with me again. Uh, um, or Gareth. We can start uh, in the success, middle. Um, how do I define success? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I think I define success by by the by the process um, at which I'm going about different or creative works or or projects or collaborations. Um, the the community that results around it um, and what that leads me to um, more than I usually do the the product for me is the the, the process uh, 
sort of gone into a lot of things like that several for several years now and and it's it's felt like a healthy way for me to do it um success when making art i for me i guess it's it's several things number one am i enjoying making the work does it feel good to make the work uh when the work is finished is it an honest representation of how i was feeling or did i learn something i when i when i write a song after i listen to it i like to 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 feel like i'm learning something about myself that i didn't necessarily know going in um so was this song honestly speaking to something that's going on in my mind that maybe i'm not aware of that makes me feel successful when i when i can hear that when the song is done um I also feel successful when I get paid because then I get to eat mm. and that feels good because yeah. I like food because I like to live. Yeah. Um, so that that for me is a definite mark of success as well. Not necessarily because I think that you can put a, that you can quantify uh, an artistic achievement or really any any achievement that you can really quantify it that way, but it needs I need that that compensation in order to continue doing what I'm doing. So that's that that makes me feel successful as well because it says to me, "Hey, you're going to be able to keep doing this, um, and and you be able to grow with it." And that's that's a good feeling. So all of that. Does it feel good to do it? Does it feel good when you look at it after it's done? Um, do does society value it in a way where they're going to allow you to continue to do it? That's a great answer, Gary. <laughs> Thank you. I agree with that. Um, and I especially want to... I don't like this question. I don't like the word successful when it's replied yeah, Mike. to art. <laughs> I, I, not, I, I understand the nature of it, so I, I, it's, it's a valid question. But I, um, the... Success, it's all these are sort of like capitalistic model. Like we're following some, like how often do you, like how much time do you spend and how much do you get back for that? And, you know, it's not a one-to-one with art practice. And it's, um, and I think that's that's the complicate, that's what makes this conversation necessary, this complicated nature of um, we live in this world, but um, we have to figure out a way to, you know, quantify or justify or whatever it is that um, this society wants to pr- us to prove with the work that we do. Um, but it's, on a personal note, it's it's kind of, um, success isn't, I, I kind of don't, um, I don't know, I don't know. I used to have a way of thinking like, oh, I got into a show or, um, you know, people are, uh, showing my films in other places. That sounds, that's successful. But that I think is less of a, uh, doesn't matter so much to me anymore. It's, 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 does it, does it, uh, resolve a question or do I feel, do I, do I feel, um, interested? Um, did it show me something else that I didn't know I didn't know? Gary, the way you've been talking about your artistic creation, it's, it sounds like your primary audience is yourself. 
you know, you make this thing um, and um, you're making it to learn something, to see something, to, to um, explore something with yourself as the primary audience. Mm-hmm. When it comes to taking that out of that primary audience and assigning a value to it, you have this thing, if people want to experience it, this is, you know, it's a certain amount of money. Um, how, how does that process work? Is that challenging to f- affix a concrete value to something that comes from such a personal place? Uh, for me, it's, it's not, it's as simple as if I want to do this all the time, if I want to grow with it as much as I, as much as I can, uh, people have to buy it and it's not a big deal and it's not complicated to me. You, you know, as an artist, you get a lot of smoke blown up your, you know what, about (laughs) how great you are. You get a lot of pats on the back for this, to the stuff that you do once you get to a certain point. And with me, it's kind of like, that's great. I'm glad you enjoy it. Now buy it so I can keep, so I can make better art. Um, So it's not, it's not, it's not like, oh, I'm putting a, I'm putting a price tag on my artwork. I'm putting a price tag on my forehead. It's like, no, I'm I'm monetizing this so that I can continue to be the person that I want to be. Uh and for me it's not like it's not a big complicated issue. Money isn't a dirty word. Money allows us all to do the things that we would like to do and that we need to do and it always has since birth. <laughs> Uh, and it was the same for our parents and their parents. So I I think artists get sort of tricked into thinking that money is this like dirty thing and it makes you impure and you're supposed to be this like magical fairy person that doesn't have a stomach um, if you're an artist. And I, I think it's really important for us not to fall into that. And artists also get tricked into believing that the money isn't there. We got to not fall into that either. The money is very much right there. There's just someone in between you and the money, uh, which is why I like to put myself directly in front of the people and let them pay me directly. Because as artists, I think traditionally we we put someone in between us and the people or someone someone sees, oh, people like that. Let me let me associate myself with that so I can get a a piece of that action because this this person doesn't know how valuable that really is. Artists artists are so like oh we're so thoughtful and so pensive and and uh, <laughs> a lot of the times insecure to the point where we don't know the value of what we do. Um, so I said a lot of stuff, but to to answer your question, it's it's not it's not a difficult thing. It's not a hard thing for me to say this is what it costs because all I'm saying is. Uh, this is important to me. Uh, you've, you've, uh, s- some audiences have have intimated that it's important to them. Let's work. Let's do this. Let's work together so so this can continue to happen for me and for other people. I made a series of installations in four formats here in Rochester, and the which is super eight, 16 millimeter uh, slide film and video. And in order to see it, you have to have all four of those formats operating at one time and it builds this image. And there's four of them. <laughs> and so now you have to have four 16 millimeter projectors, four super eight projectors. Four. Anyway, I took one of these pieces to Dallas. It got into a show in Dallas and the biennial. I don't know. And t- let's, f- this whole conversation would be fascinating to have 
in Dallas because I have never seen more money ever, ever spent on anything like in Dallas. Money, 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 money. Mm. And I was part of this show, this um, gallery show, and, and people showed up, I mean, jewels and limos <laughs> outside of this you know, art place. And somebody asked me how much it cost. And I just, I was, I mean, I felt like a schlub. I was, I was, I, I because it was a real question there. But a, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. We get, right. you know, it, it, and you, you, like you said, you said there's, there's no money and there's never any money. It's like, there is money. The, the money's there. Who's in control of the models? Who decides what's worth the money? Somebody in Dallas, yeah. apparently. apparently. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they were like, yeah, what's it cost? And I just had no, I had nothing. It was, I was like a slate, a blank slate. And I just thought like, oh, you. you but know? that's what you do is you, <laughs> you, you take a look at their rings yeah. and the coat they have on. <laughs> right. And you make a number. Yeah. I did. I think I, I think I said like six thousand dollars, and they were like, oh. "You know, I don't remember." It was. It was. But anyway, that that was the closest I ever came to like the idea that there was a, a val like a, a buying selling situation with anything that I've I make. Otherwise, it gets shown. I think I, to be in a show and to be in a museum or a gallery, I should be paid for that. But they're not going to own the work, you know. They're not going to own it. I'm not going to sell it to them. I mean, mm. I, I guess I would. I don't. <laughs> that was just it, nobody buys films. I mean, well, they used to. I mean, there's, there's, you know, in in that world, and I think there's other art worlds, right? Like what yeah, Gary's yeah. saying, the model, right. the model, right? So in the corporate art world, it's all centered you know, around not the artist. Yeah. And there's so many in-betweens and the gatekeepers are the money and who decides what. But, but you, in that situation, sorry, I just got to uh -huh. say this because it's so interesting to me. I took an economics class in high school and the teacher talked about the concept of a luxury item, which I think for what you're describing, a lot of people are there trying to find luxury yeah, items. Exactly. So when you say $6,000, that person goes, eh, but if you had said $500,000, they might have gone, hmm. <laughs> because a luxury item is something that's more attractive the more expensive it is. Mm -hmm. I need to learn. I need to go the to high school but <laughs> with you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's gross, right? Because it's like you're, they're looking at it as a flat file to go in their portfolio. And, that, yeah. and, and that's, you know, art, you know, Jackson Pollock's and Van Gogh's and, and you know, all these other... White guy artists, uh, uh, they get their collateral around the world. You know, people trade like like stocks. These they don't care what the paintings look like. Some of these, mm -hmm. um, you know, wealthy, beyond wealthy, you know, families in the states, they're just collecting, and and even just corporations are collecting art. And you know, there's artists that play with that, like like Banksy. You know, the whole shredder after someone bought it in a yeah. recent auction, right? But but I don't. It personally, I my art practice, I don't want to be part of that model that, that that offers so few artists financial success, uh, not moral success. I I would say most artists who are at a level of million dollar works and are alive, I I don't feel like are any happier than someone who's working, you know, thirty hours a week at a food service job and then putting in twenty thirty hours. Doing their music, doing their movies, doing doing paintings, you know, um, 
And so I'm the last few years I've been like, you know, a lot of the reason why as an artist I went to and and got an MFA, even though that's right, like considered stupid in a lot of circles, like, but it wasn't. It transformed my life and it jump started so many things because I went into it like I need to create a practice that is sustainable because I'm ten years out of my undergrad and I'm and I and I like what I'm doing, but there are we got to disrupt this model. Like we got to disrupt this corporate art model. This is, this is not a hobby. This is actual work. Arts and culture in cities is like a huge industry and people are making loads of money in Rochester. We see the fringe festival, mm-hmm. you know, the jazz festival and, and they that, go, well, this is the city of the arts. Well, then artists you gotta, that needs to, that needs to be very clear to artists. It has to be very clear. I think it's not, it's, it's not, not clear. People are making money off of you. I'm going to say this again. If you are making art and someone's hitting you up to be at their bar or at their show, at their gallery, at their blah, 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 and they tell you they don't have money, you tell them to stop. <laughs> tell them to stop talking. <laughs> right. They're making, people are making money off of you. And for me, it's like part of it is about the money and it's about eating, but that's embarrassing to me. It's, it's disrespectful and it's embarrassing to have someone email me, to call me, and say, hey, would you be a part of this thing? We really want to support the arts. Like, we think it's would be a great experience, opportunity. And then I'm like, okay, what is, what's, what's the money like? And they're like, oh, we can't really pay everyone. I'm like, stop. Mm-hmm. Stop talking. Mm-hmm. But go, keep going. But the money's there. <laughs> yeah, and, and as a musician, right, you're, you're saying, and I've heard you say this before, and it's like if your business model is food and beverage, and you're not working in the music that keeps people there eating and, and coming out to dance. And, and you shouldn't have music. Then you shouldn't be, you don't have a business plan. That's, that's as simple as that. You're exploiting yeah. the labor of artists. And if, if artists actually all organized together and said, hey, this is the wage in Rochester for a, a musical act at a bar where this is your economy, right? Like this is, this is a small business bar. This is how much you have to budget if you want people to think this is a place they should be coming and spending their weekend dollars. That's a great transition point to uh, move from talking about you as individuals and ask the question, have you been involved with um, organizations of artists of any kind of uh, model that tried to bring individual artists together to make those changes uh, that that you are getting at Ray Ray? I mean, personally, I've been, you know, incrementally, year by year, I go, you know, what am I going to do as an artist, right? Here's my manifesto, community-supported art, right? I'm going to create, like, the food system in farmers, there's people that pay farmers in the spring to plant the seeds, and then in the fall and summer, the farmer doesn't have to worry about selling stuff to people. It's community-supported agriculture, right? So I started this community-supported art platform for myself, you know, just to see how it would work. And the idea that you're paying not just for this seasonal art share, but you're paying to have me in your in your life, right, and, and working on and seeing things on social media and seeing opportunities to come be part of things I'm doing in the communities and, and seeing, you know, um, my work evolve and, and how I 
justify that is I do a lot of community-based work, but that shouldn't be the only reason why a model like that could work. Like, you know, um, if artists come together, there, there's been tremendous success with artist unions, artist labor unions in the, you know, 30s. Uh, in New York City in the 60s, there were artist unions telling the Guggenheim and the major museums, just like musicians don't, you know, go into um, an opera house and, and, and they, they don't just make money from the, the tips that the attendees come. You're paying the musicians. You better pay these damn painters who are putting up uh, the shows in, in your museum who, who, you know, thousands of people are coming to see and, and you know... Um, it doesn't matter if they buy the paintings or not. These people are having an experience just like people going into the museum uh, or going into the opera house, you know. So artists have organized in the past. They, they've they pushed museums to actually create, like, no admission days, you know, and and and, and just, they, just like other labor unions work and worker movements, um, when, when they get busted up and... The power shifts back. You see less museum-free days. You see less vibrant arts and culture accessible to working families. You know, so um, artists, yeah, it's 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 just like any workplace. You, you need to be able to organize collectively and bargain for for your uh, wages and power. I mean, I'll say um, maybe not direct answer to your question, Mike, but the in relation to this topic of not of who pays artists and how we how we let them off the hook if they don't film festivals don't pay you mm-hmm. one uh, and this is this is should be known to the world they don't pay the filmmakers mm-hmm. almost always at least at our level so experimental film I'm talking about of course i i, I narrative who knows sundance probably but by and large, it's an honor. I've been in the mm. New York Film Festival. I've been in, except for Canada. Thank you, Canada. Canada <laughs> pays mm-hmm. their artists. They pay them. You get paid all the time. National Film Board yeah. Canada. But I've been and all over, you know, in the United States, by and large, film festivals do not pay experimental filmmakers film shorts, and it's, it's just a, a given. And it costs money to apply to be put into the film festival. So it's a, it's a total racket. And there is this movement among the small-gauge filmmakers and experimental filmmakers to, to resist and say, we're not going to let you do this anymore. Um, but it, it, it's usually little pockets and fits and starts and spurts because somebody's like, well, the NYO, I'm going to get into the New York Film Festival and say no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm not gonna. So it's, it's hard to, mm-hmm. you know, say that or, or do that. Or, and, you know, so to create these alternative spaces, we pay um, every filmmaker that comes, um, no matter, and every artist that when we show them, even if it's a nominal amount, which we're, I, we are going to join, join this wage um, you know, commitment, the certification. Um, I think in 2019, it's the plan for VSW, but mm. we do pay them. And it it's just, uh, it's it, there's just this, this secret society. And I guess it's like nobody, everybody assumes that you're, the artists are, are you know, wealthy or, you know, getting um, compensated. And it's it really is. And the other, uh, my own personal experience, film festivals have never paid and neither have museums. <laughs> Hmm. Museums don't pay either. 
it's, it's crazy. And talk oh. about like they're the ones who are existing purely because of the artist. Mm. And that, that this is I had I had the same experience with French Fest. I I one of my bands applied to French Fest and most of the venues that we applied to uh weren't having it and then one venue was like, Yeah, we'll have you and uh I'm like, Cool. And they wanted us to pay a fifty dollar what they're calling a registration fee. Oh. And then they weren't gonna pay us. And I was like, uh you know, in in very bureaucratic language, I just wrote back, No, this is what this is what it would cost for us to play there. Um this is what you'd be paying for. And uh if you want to put out a tip chart, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> um but yeah, I just said this is what it would cost and it, and and this is what you'd be paying for. And they were like, yeah, we can't do that. And I was like, well, you know, that's unfortunate, but hopefully we'll be able to work together under better circumstances at a different time. So Fringe doesn't have any kind of standard uh, that, that applies? They don't have a standard, but they do. Uh. They do. Uh, this is what Fringe does. Uh, Fringe pays people that they invite. So the people you see on the Gibbs Street stage, they pay those mm. people. So what Fringe does is they lowball the people that they call. And then if those people are smart, they ask for more money. Some do, some don't. Uh, and the model for applications is you pay to apply, or you don't pay to apply. If you get, if you get accepted, <laughs> you pay to register. Yeah. Um, and then if it's a ticketed venue, you pay more, and you're supposed to make that money back on the tickets that you sell. Uh, so that's that's the fringe model. Um, and there there Yikes. Are, there are. Like you were saying with the film film festival, but this is what I think that we should do because I don't I as artists uh, this is something that we can we can just I'm not really big in, into unions because I don't like meetings, but <laughs> I think that you, the union mentality is very important, and I think that as individuals we should just say we should engage these systems like like I did I engaged the system and I said I just had to open a dialogue, and then when they don't when they're not reasonable say no thank you. Don't yeah. say, oh well, you know, I guess I because it's an honor, and I get I I want to be seen like n- not that bad. And and if more artists did that, that's collective. They would just pay. That's collective power, yeah. right? And then you know, artists don't realize that people are like, oh, if I if I start talking about money, like people will stop calling you. No, they'll start paying you. They'll start paying us. Yeah, because right. when you don't you when you do that job for for no pay. They know that they can find, just like in other building trades and all that, scab workers, scab artists mm-hmm. to come in and do their Friday night, to come in and do their gallery for the month, to come in and do their film festival for the year. They know they'll find all these other people who, who aren't, uh, I use the word, you know, organized and unions. and But right, you know, like, you know, it's a platform. If artists build a collective platform, like Tara mentioned Wage, you know, mm-hmm. which is a New York State-based group that Mike, Mike, I think, can elaborate more on, right? You know, it's like, no, this is my wages, uh, and, and look at your organization or look at your, as Fringe Fest, your funding structure. The top paid this, the bottom paid this. Okay, this is how much an installation costs. This is how much a music performance costs. This is how much, you know... Uh, having me come and speak to do a presentation or a workshop costs, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's the, the bargain. And, and, you know, if artists 
pushed around that, we would have institutions in, in Rochester, New York, that wouldn't call you up and say, hey, come do a thing at this and be, you know, exposed. Yeah. And and your exposure I, is The your other payment. side of that is that the art would be better. Uh-huh. Yeah. The art would get better. And I, we don't talk, you know, the way artists are thought of is like, oh, they're just some schmucks who want to drink. And so we'll invite them into this thing and we'll flatter them and feed them and, and fill them full of alcohol and they're fine. But if, you, if you're not that and you take what you do seriously and you show up on time and you, and you make good work and you, and you build relationships the, and, and those relationships can grow because you're getting paid, the art gets better. You yeah. know, and, and the audiences will be able to receive that. Mm-hmm. Society gets yeah. better. It's funny how when you have a satisfying experience doing something, you want to keep working at it mm-hmm. and become better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can also speak on this on, as a programmer who does negotiate with artists who come and, and we have a flat rate that we pay everybody. And, and I can say over the years I've been here programming, that rate has gone up and up largely because of those who have advocated in the past. And if I pay somebody something more, then I have to go back and vet, like say, well, this is what we paid so-and-so. I have to pay. Now we should raise it You know, if, if they do the same work. And a lot of things go into that. Did they have to travel? Were they here on residency where they get a stipend? You know, it's like a lot of you know things, but it helped. Honestly, it helps with budget because then I can go back to my funders, who we yeah. you know we solicit funds from national, state, and, and national organizations, and you know, plug it in, plug the number in, and say this is what 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 we've paid in the past, and this is what we're going to continue to pay. And it it actually doesn't you, it affects the the bottom line. But there's a lot of ways to it, it validates it too. You know, it feels like a um, it it has pushed the bar because giving people or let or you know not giving everybody a fair wage. You can't say that out loud <laughs> to a funder like, well, we're not going to pay everybody a fair wage every the same same amount of money. We're just because we don't have to. You know, that's not you can't hold your head up. I mean, you can't, and you get audited. So you have to justify your, your spending. And it, it really has helped in the past. And there are certain artists that, you know, I'm very grateful to who have required, you know, a certain minimum for their, for their participation. And yeah, sometimes Mm -hmm. it feels, it's not a comfortable situation. (laughs) Like would they come back and say, Oh, that's not enough. I'm not going to come if you know, and then you have to kind of go back and forth and that's, but at the same time, it really does it. I can say then there's usually a contract involved. And when there's a contract involved, expectations are clear and I don't have to fudge with that person to be like, Oh, did you not bring the right cables for your, you know, (laughs) did you forget your hard drive? You know, like that never (laughs) happens because that person is, is, organized usually mm-hmm. and we got organized before the event and um i d- yeah so I, I think that that's the overall like the behavior kind of starts to to shift into um this this better art society that we are hoping for and it can still be fun <laughs> yeah and you can still enjoy yourself you're just more fulfilled and you get to eat good food and you don't Absolutely. have to worry i mean we should have like i this this place i I this my my audience that I you know go back to was was in Pittsburgh decades ago, and you know it, the part of that is all of those artists were had jobs, families, um, houses that they owned 
because it was affordable. Artists could live and work and be artists and participate. And because that we, we got more, more funding through, the, I don't know if they were getting paid for their art necessarily, but it was a, a much more just affordable place to live and um, be successful. And I think that that's, it really does affect the quality of life. It's not just, you know, one-to-one, -one, like they spent more time in their studio, therefore they had better art. You know, it was, it was that they had the security, you know, and they were, um, they were free to kind of be um, whole people and participate on multiple levels. And it isn't just film, it's, they were musicians and filmmakers and, you know, it's sort of an integrated art scene too, in that way that everybody helped each other out. And, um, and I think, that you know that th that particular community had something called the Sprout Fund, which was you could get these micro grants to do you know, a t as a person. You could apply for a thousand dollars, and a lot of them got a thousand dollars to do a thing or to buy a PA or something like that. You know, like and those the Sprout Fund was specifically for you know feeding the art directly, feeding these micro grants into art, putting it in artists' hands. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. So we've talked about, I think wages have been mentioned twice, and then unions a bit more broadly, which is great, very on brand for Punching Out. Uh, we love it, but I was wondering if uh, maybe Mike, if you could quickly explain what wage is. Sure. So wage stands for working artists in the greater economy. It was started, I think, four or five years ago, and as Ray Ray alluded to, they created a fee structure for the various activities that an artist would do. It's primarily created for visual artists, so a or, or artists m making art for a um, gallery or a museum. So um, you are part of a group exhibition, you would get paid X. You're part of a, you're a solo exhibition, you get paid you know, this amount and so on and so forth. Um, I think what makes the wage model really elegant is they also break those fees um, by the operating budget of an organization. So, um, you know, a, a organization the size of Visual Studies Workshop doesn't pay the same amount as the Museum of Modern Art. Um, you know, it's, it's determined by a, a reasonable, fair um, uh, capacity of that organization to make a payment um, wage has been certifying organizations that pay uh, through this fee structure. Um, most of the organizations that have been certified have been galleries. Um, the, uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art in Philadelphia was the first museum to be certified earlier this year. Actually, I think it's the Institute of Contemporary Art. Um, so, so there's, um, I think it's 50 or 60 galleries across the country. Um, museums are signing up as well. And it sounds like, um, VSW is, is working towards that right we now. We are. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we do use their, their model for our pay, our fee structure. To be honest, we pay more than 
we're supposed to for certain types of engagements. And, you know, I don't know, I'm sure they would still allow you to do that, but that was one of the reasons we were like, well, you know, would we want, would we have, would this affect some some of those fees that we pay? We don't want to go backwards, but I'm sure that we could pay them more if if we want to, right? Mm Uh, do you guys have thoughts on that structure? Is it, you know, is it good? Is it not enough? Is it bad? Um, maybe how does that compare to other ideas about how uh, artists can be empowered, such as the uh, grants, uh, like you were talking about with the Sprout program? Yeah, so, I mean, we're having this conversation, right? It's popped up again in Rochester. It pops up every, you know, bunch of years. This, this um, you know, we don't have a regional arts plan, and it was in the news all last couple of weeks with the attempt to put the, the quote, performing arts center, uh, the Rochester Broadway Theater League's Parcel 5, you know, $130 million performing arts center, right, on to, to not get into that and unpack all that. It, it, it brought about this conversation. Well, why is there no regional arts plan to fund other arts organizations, this whole AMS study that the city of Rochester paid 60 grand for um, reported about the impact of a potential Broadway theater of 3,000 seats in the middle of downtown that wasn't actually a performing arts center. It didn't have two other theaters in it like it was originally supposed to, you know, and they replaced that with residential retail and luxury. But I'm going to get off that. The AMS study, right? This report, who cares about the performing arts center part of it, in my opinion? pushed uh, into the spotlight again that Monroe County and the region, the Genesee Valley, doesn't have a regional arts plan, like how to fund public art. And when city legislators and and people who, who run big businesses and corporations, they say, we're a city of the arts, we're, we're reinvigorating downtown and come and be part of all these festivals and, and uh, come on, bring, bring, come on down. But where's that money going, right? And and why is that money available, not available to uh, small grassroots organizations um, and and people who like Wayo who are, you know, there's 300 people a week coming through this studio and, and we have over 120 show show hosts here. I do a show. I'm able to use this studio. Where's the funding from the city? Where's the funding right. from the county? The county in particular um, has been very stubborn about adopting like, uh, uh, you know, all sorts of um, plan-based um, strategies to fund the arts through public money, through private money, through crowdsource money. You look across the country, uh, Denver is paying somewhere around $25 um, I think per per artist was that the number at at that meeting, right? And 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 Portland yeah. is went up to like thirty five dollars yeah. per artist. We're paying about a buck seventy five in Monroe County per artist in terms of any sort of funding that exists. I think that was per taxpayer. Per taxpayer. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm confusing. Yeah. Every taxpayer so pays that much. Denver twenty five dollars per taxpayer. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. Portland, thirty-five. Rochester per taxpayer, a dollar seventy-five. Could you imagine if we went up just a little bit, just a little bit more for for the arts and culture that s- so many people go and 
want to experience, you know, of all walks of life. Well, um, that's an oversimplification, though, because then we have no arts. This the arts council is not a govern. Like, where does it go? So that's how it gets distributed. Because money mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, necessarily solve the problem. It's money. It's organized. It's like being organized, right? The gatekeepers, right? right? And right. what Gary's saying, who's in? Is there an, is the arts council a problem? I've I've heard in other cities they got rid of the arts council in terms of being the gatekeepers of the money and created you know more yeah. of a coalition of small, medium, large, uh, and and groups represented by artists. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it it doesn't. I guess what you're saying is right. You know, if we had thirty dollars per taxpayer being put into a public coffer. Mm-hmm. But who's controlling that coffer? Is it all going to the Fringe Fest? You know, is it all going to the RBTL? Is it all going to arts organizations, or, or is it? Yeah. How is how is it democratically, uh, you know, distributed? Right. The numbers that you're talking about for Denver and Portland is are those numbers higher because of will to or budgeting to spend that money, or is there is a mechanism that's raising that money? So. In Portland in particular, and this was brought up at this big arts and cultural meeting um, that, that was happened through this AMS study on Friday. There was over 100 people there, um, and, and it was referenced. And I've looked at the Portland strategy. In 2009, they built the coalition, and I'm not saying it's perfect, and, and there's probably all sorts of flaws in it, but they were at, I think, 275 per taxpayer um, in 2009, and now they're at... Um, you know, the $30, $35 per taxpayer through this plan that basically organized. And it was it was established by referendum. So a direct mm. vote was taken of the people who were going to be taxed and they voted for it yeah. directly. So it was, you know, you know, that's a that's a that's a very eff- important step model, I think, is that we, you know, we have a c- direct. I do believe that people appreciate um, there's a lot of money in Rochester, like purse, like private wealth. Um, and I think that it's appreciated and go to uh, bigger institutions like George Eastman Museum anytime there's an opening or something. I mean, wow, like you can s- the smell the money. And so they and they're supportive of that institution. They appreciate it and they pay in their dollars and they, you know, they do they do donate. And I think if we had a d- more direct relationship with our patrons, um, and a more open relationship. And I think this whole conversation is towards talking it more effectively and, and efficiently about money um, as artists f- and with each other and with, with the community at large um, rather than like, you know, we we demand more because we are, you know, we're, we, we, we want more whatever, like our leisure time to make our paintings or something. Like it's actually a very, you know, this is a, a very valid um, conversation to have. And I know, I believe that we have an intelligent community that does care and support the arts and and doesn't just, they just don't know. And the wool is pulled over their eyes with this sort of, with these sham institutions or non-institutions or places like, I don't want to, well, this council of the arts, which, does nothing, you know, and it doesn't understand. We don't understand what what should they be doing. You know, there's no. Uh, did did no Buffalo clarity. ask theirs to step aside in uh, terms of funding a few years ago? I heard. I can't remember. I don't yeah, know. That may have been show. mentioned at the meeting, but yeah, yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, I mean, to get real political about it, I think there's a lot of act. You know, good energy 
tour right now, I hope, and this Parcel 5. Thank you, Ray Ray, for being such an influential part of that, um, is a great place of discord. And you can attest that people show up, people do care. And when you tell them, they don't know. You know, they don't know and they they do... um, they being the again people who patronize the arts I, they have a sense of justice too mm-hmm. and i think that if we could organize better and share the message more broadly it would be mm-hmm. um very effective yeah and and be very i think for artists to be very clear with their audiences what they experience mm-hmm. like when i was talking about the, the french fest you had no idea yeah you know you were talking about the film festivals we had no idea right so it's it's important for people to know what's going on. Um, you know, if you don't do negative things, people won't have negative things to say about you. People are like, "Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk bad about." I was like, "They they shouldn't do that." Yeah, and you won't you won't ever have to say that about them. Yeah, yeah. I'd be curious if there's a idea about how the arts could be supported that we haven't touched on, or something you want to. Uh, underline as we wrap up here? For my part, I just want to make it very clear to artists that what they do is important and that they have power, Mm -hmm. individually and collectively. If you decide what the value of what you do is, or if we decide together what that value is, no one can refute that. There is a side of life that, that is beautiful that doesn't exist without us doing what we do. And I think that's important for us to know and, and to live in that that truth and not just, you know, feel pressure to, to sell ourselves short. Yeah, I, to second that totally, that sentiment. And as a, te- as, as a teacher in an MFA program, that's is a number one problem is that, you know, this idea that you have to, you're here, you got to validate and you got to produce and you got to become art world producer, you know, and... Um, uh, and that what really matters is is there the world needs artists so desperately just as you know participants in in the stream of the way things are going and how how to think differently how to be more creative how to be more versatile how to live yeah and how to value yourself and create create um creatively value your creative act so um it's it feels foreign, I think, to a lot of artists um, to even think about uh, validating through money or um, or opposite. It feels like that's the only way to validate. Um, but I think that uh, hopefully through conversations and through um, experiences and calling out these institutions, yeah, we can't let them get away with it. We have to be um, public about that. And in the end, you know, the great thing is we're we're versatile. Artists can, uh, in general, I think have a have a great versatility, and they're kind of lean. They can live lean and mean, right? Um, and whatever blow you take from maybe standing up against these institutions m- will pay off in the end, hopefully, and we'll 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 make it through. I don't know if that's an inspirational message. Yeah, no, it, it is. <laughs> and and looking at it, art. And culture is a is a public health issue. You know, mm-hmm. people need the arts in their lives. They need creative approaches to figuring things out. They, we need arts integration in our earliest levels of schools and our children. And they will be better people and they will live in better neighborhoods and they will have better cities and culture and relations with each other when the arts are woven through 
um, not just sitting in a corner and expressing yourself, but actually integrating it into science, math, music, drawing. You know, it's not just a medium. It's it's a it's an approach. And, um, you know, I'd recommend for anyone out there who wants to get more resource on this, something that's really been a valuable uh, resource for me is um, this this group, uh, artandwork.us. That's artandwork.us uh, URL. There's a amazing newspaper they put out collecting all this conversation and not just conversation on it, but tools, a toolkit to organize around, to integrate into your art practice, your conversations, um, your, your groups of friends, you know, it's, it's basically designed to listen to or to read. Um, it's something I'm halfway through and it's changed so much of my life and, and I've done things that I've never done before because I've read things and used it as a um, as a way to um, start this conversation up here in Rochester with my peers and coworkers, and yeah, we are arts workers, and we deserve living wages for the work that we're doing. So this is a workplace, and and don't forget that. Thank you so much, everyone. If we want to wrap up by just going around the room and sharing information about things you may be working on or where people can find out more information about what you do? Um, well, I guess my most relevant would be the Visual Studies Workshop um, exhibitions page for the film series. I program the film series, and we also have something called the Community Curator Program, and that invites grassroots organizations with social justice missions to use our collection um, to create a film space uh, program and um, I work with them directly to kind of put together a series of short films for um, a, a program and then we also provide a micro grant to that organization to have the show there so uh, as a curator that's my probably number one kind of most active practice right now vsw.org uh, this is kind of a conf- this doesn't have to be confusing I guess mm-hmm. I just I playing several projects I'm just going to name this feels weird I'm just going to do it uh, I, as Gary Lamar I write songs so you can look that up on on your band camps uh, I play in a band called Claude Bennington's Fever Dream mm-hmm. ClaudeBenningtonsFeverDream.com check it out it's uh, it's a good time playing a band called Carousel that's on on the Facebooks if you, you want to give that a, give that a look. Playing a band called Cami and Aharo and Dessert. Mm. Uh, that's uh, that music hasn't been recorded yet, but you can check out Cami and Aharo's music on Bandcamp. <laughs> mm. Playing a band called Homeless. There's a lot of jazz, a lot of jazzy jazz. You that's not on the internet. You got to come see that live. It's a good time. Bring your friends. Ray Ray's gonna be there. <laughs> I, I want to be there. Yeah, Cami and Aharo. Speaking of another, you know, everyone. Cami Anaharo, all over the news, all over media, right? Cami Anaharo uh, served uh, served me food at Arnett's Cafe today. Cami Anaharo has three jobs. Cami Anaharo has three jobs. Okay, Cheesy Eddie's, Arnett Cafe. And I'm sorry, Cami, if you're listening, I don't mean to blow you up, but you're a perfect example. All the press, all this media. Why why isn't Cami Anaharo working full time on the music? Where's the city of Rochester, the county, the right. state, the country? Why? 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 So yeah, I'm Ray Ray Mitrato, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, you can go to RayRayMitrano.com for more information. Uh, I'm, I'm I love love to work with 540 West Main University, Wayo. Uh, I do um, stuff with Gary, stuff with Tara, 
everybody in this room I've, I've just met um, punching out here. I hope to do more. And uh, let's, let's get to work. Well, thank you all for being here, and thank you, uh, listeners, for listening. This has been Punching Out. Every week we uh, tell stories and talk about different uh, types of work here in the United States at this time. Um, so if you uh, want to reach out to us, we're on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Um, Wayo is spelled W-A-Y-O. And if you uh, have any horrible work stories or, you know, think that we haven't talked about your job yet and we should, please uh, reach out and let us know and we, we will talk about it. Thank you. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.